This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, it's finally sunny outside. Little, well, partly cloudy anyway. This, we're seeing glimpses of sunshine for the first time in what feels like forever. Uh, it's turned out to be a rather cold, snowy, and wet November so far in the metro region, and lots of snow, I understand, uh, throughout Newfoundland and Labrador right now. A lot of people already saying this is a harbinger of the winter ahead, and some prognosticators, including the Farmers Almanac are already predicting a colder winter with plenty of precipitation. Well, you don't have to be engaged in conversation very long here in Newfoundland and Labrador before the discussion turns to the weather. Uh, someone who has spent his career talking about the weather is now out with a new book. Chris St. Clair is the former host of the Weather Network and has just released Weather Permitting 25 Years of Ice Storms, Hurricanes, Wildfires, and Extreme Climate Change in Canada. He joins me now from his home in Kingston, Ontario. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you? Great. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad that you had me on. (laughs) So what's it doing in Kingston right now? We're having um, your weather that you're going to have tomorrow. Today it's windy uh, and it's just pouring rain. Oh dear. Yeah, you always get it first. Yeah, one day ahead. (laughs) Um, So what what do you see is going on with the weather these days? I I suppose you're still keeping an eye on things. Yeah, I I love weather. Always have. Um, You know, it's really changeable. It's funny because there can be, I mean, we're not that far apart, maybe 1,500 kilometers. Um, We had a really nice November here. As a matter of fact, um, in the part of Ontario I live in, in the east, um, it was it was absolutely beautiful. A lot of people would say, "Wow, I wish it would be like this for the rest of the winter." Because it was, and, and all of a sudden, um, last week it went cold and we got snow and and all of that business, and now it's back to um, you know mild today and and really windy and rainy. So there's these great variabilities that are taking place, um, and and the swings are bigger than they used to be. Is that because of those deep oscillations in the jet stream, those sort of those blocking highs and lows? Exactly. And, and they, they become, uh, because of our changing climate, um, they, they become stronger and, and therefore um, less likely to move out of place, which intensifies the weather that we get. So we will get bre- breakouts of cold that seem to last longer and... And, and and also, on the other hand, we can also get periods where, where it's milder than it should be. Yeah, and we saw that uh, typically in uh, British Columbia with uh, the, those extreme high temperatures there last year, where they yep. just, it, it you know, you would expect a couple of days of high temperatures, but they went on for weeks. I know, and, 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 and yet here they are now today, they're having a snowstorm um, by British Columbia standards, uh, but they're having a snowstorm, and, and Vancouver is all shut down, and uh, you know it's like minus 19 when you cross the mountains into Alberta. So we get these um, patterns that set up for us in the atmosphere now, and, and it's always been this way. It's just that right now the patterns are stronger than they used to be, 
and it gives us a little more variability in in the weather that we get. So the, the wind storms are stronger than they used to be, and, and the snowstorms will be more intense. Um, and, and that's kind of, I think, the way the winter will go for you in Newfoundland. Yeah, a lot of people remarking that this is kind of an early onset of winter. Uh, we don't typically see a whole lot of snow uh, this early on. You know, for, there are variations, of course, but typically sure. we don't see this much. Uh, so so a lot of people saying oh, this is a harbinger of a tough winter ahead. And and it is in in in. And I grew up in in Nova Scotia, and and what I recall about winters when I was a kid, you would get great snowstorms, and this happens in in St. John's all the time too. Uh, and and then four days later it would rain and, and much of it would go away. Um, and that's that variability. And I think that that's the sort of a winter that we're setting up for in the east, that we will get some very significant snowstorms. Uh, it's, it's just the pattern is, is, is that type of a pattern that we're in. But the ocean's warm enough that um, if we can tap into warm air, it will have a tendency to, to dissipate much of that for a period of time until the pattern shifts again. Um, and offers us another burst of cold and another opportunity for a storm. So I think it'll be a stormier than usual winter, but with greater variabilities in the amount of snow that occur. So would that mean we're going to get more snow? I think, you know, if if none of it were to melt, you probably would get more snow. But I think that there'll be some good melts in between the snow. But I think, yeah, I would I would prepare my shoveling um, arm. And back and legs. And back. <laughs> <laughs> All that upper body strength uh, that you got to work on every year. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit because you've been at this for quite some time and you've seen a lot of weather and you've reported on a lot of weather uh, over the last uh, quarter of a century or so. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of what you've seen and some of the ones that stick out in your mind when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is uh, former host of the Weather Network and now author Chris St. Clair will be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And Chris St. Clair is the former host of the Weather Network, and he's written a book now, Weather Permitting, 25 Years of Ice Storms, Hurricanes, Wildfires, Extreme Climate Change in Canada. And Chris, uh, you were working with the Weather Network for 25 years, and you've, you've covered some pretty significant weather events over the last quarter century or so. What stands out? Um, there's so many that stand out, Linda. I mean, there's there's places that I love covering the weather. Um, Atlantic Canada is one of them. Um, I love I love coming to Newfoundland. My grandmother's from Newfoundland, so I have kind of roots there in a sense. And and the, there's something about the weather in Newfoundland that is. Um, it's mesmerizing, just you know, it because it is so changeable there, and um, and people in Newfoundland behave somewhat differently to the weather than people in other parts of the country do. Let me explain. Um, in Newfoundland, you just you take it, the weather. <laughs> um, you just kind of hunker down and wait it out. Whereas in other places, like Toronto, um, they kind of feel that they can beat the weather, um, and 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 so they don't 
they 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 try not to succumb to nature, which gets them into more problems. Um, ultimately, um, so so I mean, there's so many different types of weather that that are that are interesting to cover. So I love covering the weather in Newfoundland. It's just it's always been a joy, um, and it's always been epic to just you know to watch how the sea can be as angry as it is, and and the winds can be as strong as they are. It's it's uh, magnificent. Uh, but the biggest, I, I think, the weather story that involved people that was the most interesting to me was uh, the fire in Fort McMurray. Oh, for sure. And it affects so many people from this province, of course, because uh, there's a huge Newfoundland and Labrador population in Fort McMurray. And um, some of those people actually came back to Newfoundland after losing everything uh, in Fort Mac. So uh, what, what was the precipitator towards all that? Well, I mean, the fire happened um, because everything uh, kind of... Um, Everything conspired against um, Fort McMurray. Uh, they've, it's been the winters have been drier and getting drier for the past 50 years in Alberta, and the winter um, uh, preceding the fire was was the driest in 45 years. Um, and the temperatures haven't been getting as cold as they usually get for as long a period of time when you come east of the Rocky Mountains uh, into that into that part of the boreal forest. So the the forest uh, by the time spring came was was prime to catch on fire and they just needed uh, pardon the pun a spark to start the fire and that's what happened and the fire started and and then the fire grew uh, so quickly that it was able to create its own weather and and in creating its own weather updrafts and downdrafts it was able to spread towards Fort McMurray kind of like within the blink of an eye and that's what precipitated that mass evacuation of town. And I remember when we got there um, the day after the fire and we were in Wandering River and anybody who lives in Fort McMurray knows that that's on the highway out of town, um, about 60 kilometers from Fort McMurray. <clears throat> and it's the first place where there's a gas station. And, and so they had released some people after we'd been there for a couple of days who had evacuated north to Fort Mackey in the oil fields north of Fort McMurray. And so they had the fire contained enough that these people could come out. And so they were letting them out and convoys of about three or four hundred at a time and they would pull in to get some gas at Fort Mackey and and so many of them were from Atlantic Canada and and they they'd left everything behind their cell phones they had you know they just didn't have a ways to communicate and and we were really blessed that we were able to to sort of be that conduit for people they would talk to us on television and they would say you know um, I'm from Grand Falls and, and we're just going to we're just going to keep driving home, um, and we don't know if we can come back or not. But we just want people to know that we're okay. And it was there was this sense of Canadian community that was really prevalent for an extended period during that particular emergency. And it, I think it touched more than just the eighty thousand people who lived in Fort McMurray for sure. Right, because I mean we've seen huge fires across Canada, but in mainly you know relatively isolated areas with few people but you're talking about a major community with surrounded by other communities that were directly affected yeah i mean 80,000 people live in fort mcmurray and and like all of them had to leave at the same time 
And and you just imagine, you know, because you, you think about when you live at home and you say, how will we get everybody out of town? And and you start to realize at the same moment, it's really an impossible task. And I think what accentuated the drama of Fort McMurray was um, uh, everybody was beginning to use social media and f- cell phones were uh, far enough along that we, we could shoot video and put it on social media right away. So all of a sudden, at late in the afternoon that day, uh, social media was deluged with these horrifying images from Fort McMurray of, of embers falling on cars and flames on the side of the highway and people, you know, trying to get out of town in their vehicles. And it kind of it drove this horrible situation into everybody's heart and mind. And it's one thing for the images. I mean, I can just imagine being there uh, to see some of those images of people driving down these narrow roads or look, it looks narrow because of the inferno on either side. You're driving in through hell. Um, And it's one thing to see the images. It's a whole other thing. If you're there, you're feeling that irrepressible heat. Uh, You're smelling the smells, that sense of panic and uh, fear that, I mean, it's intrinsic in all of us. Uh, I can't, just can't imagine. No, I mean, it, I mean, for those people, it, it was certainly life-changing, and, and it was certainly a tr- such a traumatic experience. I mean, to, to know that you've got, you've got to go now, and it doesn't matter what's in your house. You have to just get the kids in the car and go, and you don't know where Frisky the cat is. You've got to go, um, and that's what those people did. I, I mean, the, when we arrived in Edmonton, a, a lot of people had made it to the airport in Edmonton and they're staying in the hotels there and we wanted to talk to them and none of them wanted to talk. They were still too busy processing the experience they had gone through. I mean, everything that they owned for many of these people was reduced to ash. And a lot of them didn't even know that. No, not at the time. No. And, and so many people just, they, you know, the, the fire trucks came down the street with the sirens on and, and it was, you have to evacuate. And they grabbed what they could and left. And a lot of people left with the clothes on their back and their car keys. And that was it. Nothing else. You can imagine now the panic that that would create in a human, let alone 80,000 humans. Um, And the evacuation went well when you consider the circumstances. Well, yeah, nobody. There was there was a traffic accident uh, related to the evacuation, um, but like 12 hours after the um, evacuation that took place in Lac La Biche, um, 100 kilometers away, and and there was a death there. But other than that, nobody died in that evacuation, which is in itself a miracle. <clears throat> Extraordinary. And you mentioned off the top there talking about the the Fort McMurray fires. Uh, You said, you know, this this fire, because of the tinder dry conditions and the like, created its own weather. Explain that to us. Well, yeah. Um, the, what would happen was an inversion would occur, which means usually when you go up, the temperature decreases. But um, in an inversion, there's cold air near the surface, and then there's a layer of warm air aloft, a couple thousand feet or meters. And then above that, there's cold air. And this, this, in, this warm air will hold smoke at the surface. So that's what was happening at Fort McMurray, um, particularly in the evening hours. And then by about noon, every day the 
sun would warm the atmosphere enough that the entire atmosphere would become um, equal in temperature again. And what would happen was there would be this um, upwelling of, of air from the surface, and that would create a really strong wind, which would suddenly invigorate the fires again, and they would they would grow and it would just sort of almost explode the fire in size, but it would send these columns of smoke up thirty forty thousand feet into the atmosphere, columns of smoke and ash, um, and within those there would be thunder and lightning, so that became what's referred to as a pyroclastic cloud. So it was just and and these clouds were enormous in in scale it, it would come up like a mushroom cloud from atomic explosion uh, every day this would happen day in and day out for almost 10 days and yet without that needed precipitation never came the rain just never did come um in any you know um large enough amount to do the story. The fire had to be contained um, by the work of the firefighters who were there. And I mean, there is, there's a minor upside to the story in that the area all around Fort McMurray now is burned. So Fort McMurray will be safe from future fires because there is no, uh, there is no forest to burn around Fort McMurray now, but that, I mean, that's, that's what happened. It, it burned, it burned an area um, that is a, a uh, two-thirds the size of Prince Edward Island, that fire, across northern Alberta and Saskatchewan. Extraordinary and, and cold comfort to know that you know, they might be safe from fires now because there's nothing to burn. Yeah, but I mean, what, what other community will be next? And, and we talked about that in the book in, in the case of British Columbia last year or the year before last where they, where they lost Lytton, which is not a big community. I mean, Lytton, only four or 500 people and maybe 1,000 in the surrounding area. But uh, we also nearly lost Vernon in British Columbia too. And Vernon has a city of about 30,000 people. And, you know, 20 years ago, uh, Kelowna was threatened uh, to burn with forest fires. And in British Columbia... Um, that situation is only going to get worse in the coming years, the, the dryness and the heat. And, of course, we saw that here ourselves in Newfoundland and Labrador in uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, Bishops Falls, uh, where uh, those uh, forest fires were burning out of control and merging, and uh, people were very concerned as they were heading closer to the communities. Uh, luckily, they they managed to get quelled before that. But uh, still, the communities affected, uh, affected by the smoke and, and the like, and a lot of people had to evacuate. Well, and and that's what people don't think about. It, is there's the, yes, there's the fires, but there's the, the other side of it is the air quality and 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 how detrimental that is to human uh, health. I mean, and there's these combined threats when we get into situations like that. And in Atlantic Canada, there is an awful lot of forest that can burn, particularly when you get a prolonged period without um, sufficient rains, um, which can happen in the summertime and is happening more frequently. In the Atlantic region, and and you just need the heat to do it. I mean, the scrubland is ideal for burning. Our guest today on On Target is Chris St. Clair, former host of the Weather Network, and he's out with a new book, Weather Permitting. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM.
Our guest today is former host of the Weather Network, Chris St. Clair. He's out with a new book, Weather Permitting, 25 Years of Ice Storms, Hurricanes, Wildfires, and Extreme Climate Change in Canada. And Chris, you were just talking about the fires in Fort McMurray, but on the other end of the scale, and I suppose much earlier in your career, uh, were the ice storms in um, southern Quebec and eastern Ontario, no less devastating. That's kind of what opened my eyes to climate change was the the scope and scale uh, and magnitude of the, that ice storm in, in 1998. And, and there have been other ice storms since then. Uh, their frequency is a little more concerning now be, because they, they are... Um, they are occurring more frequently just because of the swings we're having in temperatures. And, and certainly Atlantic Canada is no stranger to them as well. But the, the 1998 ice storm, the, the size uh, that it paralyzed in, in geography is quite astounding because it was all of southern Quebec, all of eastern Ontario, um, northern New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, <clears throat> and parts of uh, northern and western New Brunswick as well. And literally millions and millions of people without electricity for days and days and days in the dead of winter um and uh i think it was how long did this the the, the that freezing rain continue it was almost endless it, 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 and that was the thing about it because the freezing rain started on a monday and it didn't stop until friday and it was it was nearly relentless if it wasn't freezing rain then it was freezing drizzle and and people often get confused about what freezing rain is it's not ice pellets falling from the sky it's actually liquid rain but the temperature near the surface is below freezing well below freezing a couple three four degrees below zero and so this super cold uh, droplet of water hits the ground and then instantly turns to ice and and then it just keeps you know ice on ice keeps growing and growing and the ice was up to a couple inches thick on power lines and on buildings and ultimately that's what led to the collapse of the electrical grid in Quebec, eastern Ontario, northern New Vermont, northern New York and, and parts of New England. It just, it, the, the ice, just the power uh, structures couldn't, couldn't contain it anymore and thousands and thousands came down. And the pictures were devastating to see, um, uh, you know, that amount of infrastructure just crushed as if under a f- the foot of some massive giant. It's just just like toys crushed. It was it was stark uh, is a is a good word to look at that because we think you know something made of steel is is strong and and not going to succumb but it just it exceeded the the, the physical engineering limits that these structures could could hold as far as weight goes and it's when when you think of you look outside and you see freezing rain coming down you often don't think you know that there is a limit or a capacity for all of these structures that we create and the weight of water is really quite something. Um, when you start adding it up over time, it was uh, it was it was stark. When I I went in my book, I, I, it's this is the second chapter of my book is the ice storm, and and I was stuck at my home here in Kingston for a week, but then I had to go back to work, and and I write about driving back to Montreal, and it was a bright sunny day. It was cold, minus ten or minus twelve, so the ice wasn't melting, but it looked like 
everything was made of crystal. It was absolutely beautiful the way the sun shone off the ice and everything. But it also, driving along the highway, it looked like all like a giant had stood with a scythe and chopped all the trees down, and they were all um, they were all they were all broken. I mean, millions and millions of trees had uh, succumbed to the ice. It was it was beautiful. But it was just this reality that nature is so powerful. Indeed. And so you had the problem with the infrastructure of the hydro lines coming down. But then you also had in the cities and in the communities trees coming down on lines and houses and cars and across roads. And, you know, how do you even begin to clean all that up and and get everything back up and running? Newfoundland and Labrador played a big role there. I know I know uh, linesmen from Newfoundland and Labrador went up uh, along with many, many more to try and help bring that all back up and running. Well, and that's what's um, um, you know it is amazing about these events is how people will come together to help other people. It's it's something that's really nice about the temerity of of how we we're faced with these obstacles, but we will unite uh, in spite of all of our differences always to come together to fix problems. But those people that the volunteers, who, the linesmen, you know, who who load up the trucks and head up. To, to solve a problem for somebody, some stranger, they're the unsung heroes of all of these things. Those people in the police and the firefighters and the people who work in hospitals, um, and I'm sure I'm leaving people out, but the people who volunteer to help are the unsung heroes of all of these situations. Um, you know, I've been in hurricanes in Florida, and and we'll get up early in the morning, and, and it'll be as quiet as can be, and there'll not be anybody around, and we'll get on the highway, and there'll be convoys of um, li- of trucks with their flashing lights, and it's all linesmen coming in to, to, to come in and fix up the power. They've been waiting outside to come to deal with the emergency. So those people are the ones who are the heroes. Indeed. And in places like uh, South Carolina and, um, you know, Louisiana and Florida, they do are they're used to, if you will, uh, hurricanes and the power of hurricanes. We see them occasionally and we've seen some pretty brutal ones. We saw Fiona, of course, this past year in Port Bass that had devastating impacts and not so much because of the wind or rain. It was that sea surge that did all the damage, just extraordinary power there. And of course, hurricane Hurricane Juan that uh, devastated Halifax. Well, and that's the thing about hurricanes. Growing up in the east, I remember um, there would be storms in the fall, and, and you know I'm over sixty, so I grew up in the sixties and seventies in Atlantic Canada, and and I don't remember the storms being as powerful as they are now. And then when when I was doing the research for the book, and you go back and look at stuff, and yes, there are powerful hurricanes, but the number of of devastating hurricanes that are occurring now as opposed to 50 years ago when I was a child um, and and 70 years ago there are much more frequency now you look you just had Fiona um, there was um, there was Dorian two years before Fiona the the frequency of devastating hurricanes is uh, is 
increasing. And so, too, the strength of the storms, even when they get to Atlantic Canada. Um, and when they get to Atlantic Canada, a lot of times they, we, we call them post-tropical storms, um, just because the waters that they're in are not as tropically warm as they are um, further to the south. But what they do deal with that reinvigorates or re-energizes these tropical disturbances in the Atlantic provinces is they, they're getting a, a boost from much colder, drier air that is drawn in from the northwest. And that's what reinvigorates all of these storms when they get to the Atlantic region. So when we say the storm is coming and it's a post-tropical storm, sometimes people will go, well, that's okay. It's not a hurricane. But uh, what can happen is that they get this boost of energy when they come in and it reinvigorates them. And, and that's what helps also uh, re-intensify the storm surge or the sea surge, which is um, certainly something that is becoming more problematic with storms in Atlantic Canada. And of course, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we know them as gales, and we've seen gales in the past that, uh, you know, rival any hurricane, but they're not yeah. categorized in any way or shape or form other than it's a Tuesday storm. Uh, there was a few <laughs> years ago, uh, I think it was in January month, I stand to be corrected on that, but the intensity of the wind was something I've never encountered. I had a puppy at the time, I had to take her outside uh, to do her business, and the wind was so strong, I was actually terrified being outside. I've never felt that way before. You know what I mean? It was just howling or, or roaring like a freight train all around me. I think it went up to 165 or something like uh, that. Yeah, that would be the Briar storm when, when St. John's was hosting That's the Briar. Right. I remember that windstorm because I, 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 I remember thinking we should be there to cover. We weren't there to cover the storm with a, with a team and a crew. But I, it, I just, it, as that was kind of coming to fruition in the two or three days before it, I, th I thought this, I thought this is going to be a really um, big windstorm for Newfoundland. Um, and I mean, Newfoundland is used to windy weather, but that was something else. So what was behind that one? It was the push of cold air. There was there was certainly there was good energy from the gale or the nor'easter that had blown up, but it, the, just the cold air that was um, drawn into that storm out of Labrador and northern Quebec just gave it this uh, extra energy that it that that often happens with winter storms. Uh, it's the same kind of. Um, Synoptically, it's it's not identical to the to the you know the snowmageddon that you had in early January two years ago, um, but it's, it's a similar situation that a storm can go, go uh, really intense really quickly. And I understand that that's one of the disappointments of your career, snowmageddon. Yeah, that is. It was. Uh, <laughs> it is one of the. I would. I would love to have been in Newfoundland for Snowmageddon. There were two storms at, at, that were developing. One was going to be the blizzard in Newfoundland, and the other one was uh, Vancouver was going to get snow, probably 25 centimeters. Which in Vancouver, where they don't have snow tires or anything like that, was going to be a big deal. And I said, well, I'll, I'll go to Vancouver. And Chris Murphy said, well, I'll, I'll go to Newfoundland then. And so Chris Murphy got the better storm in, in that particular instance. And, you know, we, he and I talk about that. <laughs> And yet, uh, you know, I know uh, some people were disadvantaged uh, because of the storm, but overall, uh, we weathered it very well. And, uh, you know, although the city was shut down for what was it, eight solid days, uh, wow, did that ever bring people together? 
Well, that's the thing, and that's that. And this is when I when we began our discussion, Linda. I said, you know, there's a difference between um, people in 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 Newfoundland and in the Maritimes versus um, I'm going to say people who live in southern Ontario. That storm would have paralyzed Toronto for you know they would have had the army in in no time like they did back in 2000. Um, but I, I mean, there is a difference because we we just accept that okay, this is going to happen. We will prepare ourselves. We will make sure we've got everything that we need, and we're just going to wait this out because there is no way to stop this. Whereas, I find in 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 in, in a community like Toronto or southwestern Ontario, they somehow there is this thing that they feel they can continue to just move on as normal in this and continue to do business, and and you can't. You need to just let nature do its thing and wait it out. And, and then come back to things and clean it up. But I, I, I just that's I mean my that's my great admiration of my my maritime past is that um, that we know we have good sense to just take it easy for a bit. Uh, acceptance and and understanding the power of nature. It is. I mean, it is a case about you know, and that's the my favorite thing about weather and and is that. There's nothing you can do about it. If if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. What you need to do is uh, mitigate the rain's impact on you, like carry an umbrella. Um, but but it, it goes bigger than that. In that, as our climate changes, there there is little we can do um, other than to amend our behavior so that um, we can put an end to the to the change. But that's going to take time. But in the interim, we need to figure out what we can do to mitigate the impacts on us. And it's no trouble to tell people who are, who are used to a bit of unpleasant weather because I used to take um, people out uh, from the cruise ships and take them on tour and that sort of thing. And you never know what kind of a day it's going to be like when some of these people disembark these uh, great big ships. And I used to find traditionally that the Americans, often coming from warmer, more temperate climes, if you will, uh, sometimes would be feeling pretty miserable with that bit of uh, fog and rain and drizzle uh, all around them. And, oh, this is cold. I don't like this and that sort of thing. And yet the people who we used to have from the UK, you know, they'd be dripping and miserable like everyone else with big smiles on their faces. <laughs> I was like, this is lovely. We're used to this. <laughs> it's very much like the weather in the UK. Um, and it, we were there um, for Hurricane Gonzalo, um, which which was not much of a hurricane. I mean, but it was windy uh, and there was a cruise ship in port and it was going to go out to sea to ride it out. And, and some of the Americans were distressed that they weren't going to experience a hurricane hurricane and we're gonna to have to ride it out to sea but one of the, I, I wish they had a stayed because the great the beauty of that was it arrived on uh, Saturday uh, during the day and the weather was just foul it was windy and rainy and <clears throat> and it was an awful day and and it was still windy and crummy on Sunday morning but that was when they had they have the run from Cape Spear to um, to to cab Cape to Cabot, Hill. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that was the day they had the run and that day the only about about only about 25 30 people didn't show up for the run cuz we were up there broadcasting live from Signal Hill and 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 the runners were coming in and everything and it was, the wind was howling and the rain was driving and I thought well that's what it's like here you just you know you keep on
And if, you know, if you didn't do things in that weather, well, you wouldn't be doing very much. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, our guest today on On Target is Chris St. Clair, former host of the Weather Network. He's out with a new book, Weather Permitting. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And our guest is Chris St. Clair, former host of the Weather Network. And you're out with this book, Weather Permitting. And Chris, you've uh, had enough of a career as a I suppose, covering some of these major events. Uh, have you noticed trends or changes over that length of time? Yeah, definitely, uh, Linda. I, I mean, um, the weather is be- is getting more, I mean, storms are becoming more severe. Um, the What climate scientists talked about um, to us for the past 50 years uh, is 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 happening and 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 coming true. So um, people are paying attention. More and more people are paying attention to, to climate change and and what it means for us and and what we need to do. So that's um, I'm 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 happy about that. But I think we need to still be more cognizant of of what we do. Does it make uh, the job of um, people like yourself and uh, and me- other meteorologists more challenging? It's interesting because um, the the two of them are kind of are, are are the same and different in 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 an interesting way. Uh, what, meteorology is the study of what's happening now, the weather, and and what's going to happen tomorrow. And then climatology is the study of our climate, uh, how it has behaved over extended periods of times, and how it's going to behave uh, into long periods in the future. So they're kind of two different studies, David. Phillips, my friend at Environment Canada, who's just a great storyteller, is a climatologist. So he he loves weather and all of that, but he's more interested in the study of climate um, from the past to the future. Uh, And and I'm sort of interested in both, but uh, when we look at, at how climate and, and weather work together, um, one is the fruit of the other. The way the weather is behaving is a fruit of the way our climate is changing. So with our warming oceans and a warming atmosphere, uh, storms are able to hold more moisture. The warmer the atmosphere is, the more moisture it can hold. So rainstorms become storms that deliver heavier amounts of rain and often over a more prolonged period of time. So there are some things that we'll face um, in Newfoundland in the, in, in the coming years that, w- that we need to start to think about, and we are, how we're going to deal with them. Um, storm surge is one with more powerful hurricanes, but um, we saw this uh, with Igor. Um, uh, Igor was 15, 18 years ago, but the, the flooding that took place because of the amount of rain that came down with Igor that isolated many parts of Newfoundland or small communities uh, by washing out roads. So we need to look at things like that, heavier rainfalls and, and, and certainly storm surge along the coast. But even we talked about the Briar storm in St. John's and how strong the winds were. And Newfoundland is in such a prime real estate location for active weather simply because of the the two ocean currents, the Gulf Stream and the Labrador Current, and and the abundance of warmth from the Atlantic Ocean and cold from the Canadian Arctic that always converge over Newfoundland. I mean, you will be the storm-making factory uh, for Canada forever, Um, but your storms will be stronger. 
Are there certain areas that are going to be uh, see the negative impacts more starkly than others uh, right across Canada? Um, most definitely, um, but it'll be different for everybody. British Columbia will, uh, will, will, will develop a climate more like California's, not in that <clears throat> it'll be palm trees and all of that, but they will be much more susceptible to droughts and extreme heat. And that, that will play very poorly for agriculture in the valleys in British Columbia and very poorly for the forest industry and for the risk of forest fires. Um, the incidence of hail that happen in Alberta will continue to increase and the storms will become more expensive um, in, in their damage because the hail will be bigger and the storms will be stronger. But also uh, because um, Calgary and Edmonton have, uh, ex- have grown so much as urban areas in the past 20 years. Calgary's uh, population 20 years ago was 750,000. Now it's uh, 100 and, uh, 1 million and 250,000. So they're population and, and urban footprint have grown so much and it's the same uh, when you come up the Great Lakes and in the southern Quebec the incidence of tornadoes have in, increased um, in in the past 20 years and um, the strength of the tornadoes has also increased so um, when you go from having 20 a year to 25 a year that's a huge increase that's a 25% increase even though the numbers may not be as as large as they are in places like Texas it's still a, a still a huge increase in the actual numbers. So those areas will be susceptible. And then in Atlantic Canada, it, it's storm surge is, is, is the thing that will be, I think, the, the greatest problem, storm surge and heavy downpours of rain. Uh, coming with the flooding and the coastal erosion and all of those kinds of things that we've heard so much about. Yeah, and, and it's... You know, it is it is very much a factor on where we have chosen to live and how we can now fortify ourselves in our communities so that we understand that uh, that rains will be heavier in the future and winds will be stronger. So we need to adjust building codes and do all of those things, which we are doing. That's that's us being smart people. So, Chris, you've written this book. Um, how can people get their hands on it? Um, it's it's available at, at most all bookstores. I know Chapters and Indigo have it. And if it's um, sold out, um, you can order it online. And usually the delivery is available um, within like four or five days from Amazon or uh, Chapters Indigo or Kobo if you want to get an ebook uh, version of it. So it's available all of those ways. May I ask you a question? What's that? What's your favorite kind of weather? Oh, gosh. I like it all. I like a good old-fashioned thunderstorm. Yeah, those are good. Uh, you don't get them here very often, but we've no, had some lately. <laughs> uh, do you like, now, do you like a thunderstorm in the summer, or do you like a, a little bit of thunder and in the snow? Oh, both! <laughs> They're great. No, fabulous. Uh, it just reminds you, uh, once again, of how little we are. I know, and how powerful um, what is all around us is. Yeah. Um, Chris, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Good luck with the book. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, We've got like less than 30 seconds left. What else are you doing? Um, I, well, I'm, I'm probably going to start a second book, just more adventures, um, so it would be in the similar vein. And um, there's, there's, we would like to turn the book into a series of uh, stories that we could tell on television. So we are working on that right now, too. Ah, always a broadcaster. Yeah, <laughs> it never goes away. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, Chris St. Clair, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Linda. Thanks for having me. And Merry Christmas to you. 
Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. We're going to continue our conversation about climate because we'll be talking to uh, the people from the Harris Centre who've just put out the latest vital signs, which is all about climate and climate change. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone.